Welcome to the San Francisco PUC meeting. I am Vice Chair Sophie Maxwell. Madam Secretary, please call the roll. President Ajami is excused today. Vice President Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. You have a quorum. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and given the public health recommendations issued by the San Francisco Department of Public Health and the emergency orders of the governor and the mayor concerning social distancing and lifting the restrictions on teleconference, this meeting is being held via teleconference and is being televised by SFGTV. For those of you watching the live stream, please be aware that there is a brief time lag between the live meeting and what is being viewed on SFGTV. On behalf of the commissioner, I'd like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUC IT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you wish to make public comment on an item, dial 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 248-279-1804, pound pound. To raise your hand to speak, press star three. Please note that you must limit your comments to the topic of the agenda item being discussed unless you are speaking under general public comment and remind you, if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you refrain from the use of profanity. Please address your remarks to the commission as a whole and not to individual commissioners or staff. If you've not already done so, please silence your electronic devices. Before calling the first item, I'd like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe and other descendants of the historic federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The San Francisco PUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe's aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932. It is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Moakma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the San Francisco PUC and are productive and flourishing members within the greater Bay Area San Francisco communities. And, and before I continue, I would just like to give my condolences to all those families who were affected by the tragedies over the weekend. Thank you. Next item, please. Item number three, adopt renewed findings in our state urgency legislation to allow hybrid in-person meetings during the COVID-19 emergency and direct the commission secretary to agendize a similar resolution at a commission meeting within the next 30 days. Public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number three? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you, public comment on item three is closed. Thank you, may I have a motion and a second to approve item three? Second. Roll call, please. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Next item, please. Next item is item number four, approval of the minutes of January 10th, 2023. Colleagues, any amendments to those minutes? Seeing none, roll call, seeing none, uh, public comment. 
Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote, com remote public comment on item number four, approval of the minutes of January 10th, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on the minutes? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you, public comment. Item four is closed. Good, we have a motion and a second to approve the minutes of January 10th. Move to approve. Second. Roll call. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Next item, please. Next item is item number five, the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission Employee Retirement Recognitions. Uh, thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, we do have one individual that we'd like to recognize uh, at this meeting, and that's Jack Lum, in recognition of, of his 35 years of exemplary service to the city and county of San Francisco. And uh, Mr. Alan Marshall is here to say a couple of words uh, about retiree uh, Jack Lum. Good afternoon, General Manager Herrera, Commissioners. My name is Alan Marshall, Enterprise Systems Manager, PUCIT. I'm here representing Jack Lum today. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor to introduce you to, to Jack Lum today and for you to hear about some of the Jack's greatest achievement in his 35 years of service to PUC. I've had the pleasure of working with Jack for 15 of those 35 years. One of the joys about working for the city is working with good people doing important work. Jack Inn is, is an example of that. From working at the original Spring Valley Water offices on Mason Street, then on to 1155 Market, and finally Golden Gate Avenue, Jack has been an unsung IT hero over the last 35 years. As Jack has shown, it's more than a job, and I'd like to thank you, Jack, for all the weekends you gave up doing IT system upgrades, launching new systems like email, GIS, and at least two billing systems, and not forgetting the ongoing and never-ending security patching. So thank you, Jack, and to your family for sacrificing all your personal time to the PUC. You can finally enjoy all your weekends again. Enjoy your retirement, Jack. Thank you. Thank you. Alan, appreciate it. And I'd just like to read the resolution, commissioners, that we have for Jack. Whereas Jack Lum has proudly given over 35 years of exemplary service to the city and county of San Francisco, beginning in 1986. And whereas Jack began his career working on an older mainframe water billing system and had the distinction of being one of the first information technology staff at the SFPUC and became instrumental in shaping the future information technology transformation at the SFPUC, and whereas Jack has passionately worked to introduce network computing to the SFPUC, initially, initially using Novell Networks and later Microsoft, Microsoft Ethernet Networks, and whereas Jack led the team to introduce email to the SFPUC, initially using DaVinci email and later Microsoft Outlook, and whereas during his tenure at, S at the SFPUC, Jack played a critical role in the successful launch of the automated water meter program, Utility Star Electric Billing System, and many other programs. And whereas in his capacity as database administrator, Jack was an exceptional, was an exceptional employee who performed his duties and responsibilities with, responsibilities with exceptional efficiency. And whereas Jack had a strong work ethic, a positive attitude, and was re well respected by his peers, 
And whereas on April 2, 2022, after more than 35 years of exemplary service, Jack logged out, switched his computer off, and retired. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this commission hereby expresses its sincere appreciation and gratitude to Jack on his outstanding contributions to the SFPUC. And further resolved that this commission wishes Jack Lum a long, prosperous, and healthy retirement. Congratulations, Jack. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number five, our retirement recognition, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item number five is closed. Next item is item number six, report of the general manager. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, our first item, 6A, is a drought condition update from Steve Ritchie. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. If I can have the slides, please. Um, again, you know, this is going to be a different kind of drought report because it reports on all the water that actually has started to become available to us. Uh, as you'll see here, this is our reservoir, uh, reservoir storage as of January 17th. Hetchetchi Reservoir is at 291,000 acre feet uh, out of a capacity of 360,000 acre feet uh, with plenty of snow still in the Sierra. So uh, it's very, very likely that Hetchetchi is going to fill. Uh, also, uh, one of the things we've kept a close eye on is water bank. Uh, storage and I'm pleased to say that the water bank is actually full right at the moment because that's really our our drought cushion supply there so uh, having filled that up as well uh, is really a, really a, a great feeling and as I pointed out before uh, Calaveras Reservoir is full and actually spilling at this point in time it's going to spill for another day or two uh, but that is uh, a real uh, pleasure as well uh, so the, the new reservoir finally is is actually a full reservoir Oops, got to watch out for those buttons. Um, looking around the state, uh, you'll see that particularly I keep pointing out Shasta and Oroville up in the north part of the state. Uh, they had been riding very low for the last several years, uh, and they are both quite, quite a much bit higher now. Uh, Oroville is at 104% of average, and Shasta is at 87% of average. Uh, so that's, that's a greatly improved situation there for uh, a large part of California's water supply. Uh, and of course, Don Pedro is also uh, a little bit above 100% uh, of average. So uh, within the Tuolumne watershed, you know, again, we're in, we're in relatively good shape. And I keep pressing the uh, blackout button. Um, the California drought monitor is starting to train, change dramatically. Uh, the state is still largely in a drought except for uh, actually in this week Del Norte County way up in the northwest corner it, it came out of a drought uh, just uh, the other day uh, according to their measures uh, but I think this is uh, probably going to change even more as the year progresses. Um, Hetchetchi precipitation uh, again you see uh, Hetchetchi precipitation to date is above the 1983 line, and that's important because 1983 is the wettest year on our record. That doesn't mean this year is going to be the, the new wettest year on our record because 
uh, as we've seen in prior years, it can flatten out fairly quickly. Uh, we do see uh, some precipitation on the horizon, uh, but at least right now we're able to enjoy a few days of respite from the heavy rains that we've had. Um, and again, you can see upcountry uh, on the bar charts, both December and January were way over uh, the average uh, amount of rainfall per month. Uh, and uh, we're very close to already achieving this year, very close to the average annual total of 36 inches. Um, down in uh, uh, the Bay Area, again, same type of uh, image, uh, much greater precipitation in the last two months. In fact, November was also greater than average, and so you see the year-to-date total is actually five inches greater than average for the year. Uh, so again, quite a, quite a uh, big turnaround there. Uh, snowpack, uh, same picture. Uh, again, it's ahead of one of the wettest years on record, so we're, we're really uh, pleased to see that. Uh, and uh, the next slide is not one that's in, that was in your packet. Uh, I got permission to add it this morning because uh, it really did... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, so it'll come later. There, there's an extra slide. Uh, here it just shows the water available to the city, which is about 455,000 uh, acre feet. So again, that's what contributes to Water Bank primarily. Uh, and actually it's 471,000 acre feet. Uh, we need 621,000 acre feet to actually fill our system completely, and uh, we're well on track towards doing that. Uh, this is the slide that I added this morning. Uh, for those familiar with Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, uh, this is from the south side looking towards the north. The north usually has two waterfalls going uh, in the best of times, uh, Wapama Falls uh, and Tuolala. And I can actually probably run the cursor over them. Yes, this is Wapama Falls, which is the one that runs uh, most of the year, and this is Tuolala, one that uh, runs a fair amount of the year. But you'll see both up and down the canyon walls. Uh, if, you, if you look close, you count there's about 12 waterfalls running right now. Uh, so that's just another very strong indication visually that it's a big water year. Um, on deliveries, uh, you'll see in the lower left-hand corner, because it's a new year, we just have one week uh, in 2023, but it's well below the, uh, the, the other years that are shown on this chart, 2013, uh, 2015, and 2019. So again, demand has been low. It's, it's very low now because there's just been no irrigation going on. Uh, but uh, again, our customers have been doing a good job of conserving. Um, and this is just another uh, version of that uh, with in comparison to 2020 as well. Uh, and we have the drought tracker, uh, which shows that if you look at the bottom line there, uh, we're in excess of the 11% uh, target that we had set for ourselves, and that covers the period July 1 uh, through um, now it's uh, through uh, January uh, that shows that we are on track uh, to get to that level uh, with a little bit more conservation in the city uh, and also a fair amount of conservation among our wholesale customers. Uh, the national precipitation forecast, uh, the top map shows the current week through the 25th. Uh, and you'll see there's not a lot of precipitation in California and that uh, I think Hetch Hetchy did get some earlier this week. Uh, and on the lower, it looks like around the 1st of February is when we anticipate uh, maybe the, the next uh, amount of precipitation that we will get. Uh, so we're not done for the year. Now will it be as big as it has been? That's 
that's, you know, we'll find out. Um, and that's one thing that uh, I want to make sure I point out to the commissioners that uh, in terms of our water supply, we make declarations on the 1st of February and the 1st of March, particularly to our wholesale customers as to uh, the conditions uh, going forward. And then in mid-April is when we actually have to declare how much water is available for the coming year. So in terms of looking at you know, whether we're in a drought or not, mid-April is probably a time about when we can really seriously have that discussion because that's kind of the end of the, the water and snow uh, and beginning of the snow melt season. Uh, and with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Any questions? Thank you. Okay, thank you very Sounds much. Sounds good. Public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 6A, the drought conditions update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 6A? See none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are three callers in the queue. Thank you. Hello caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Maxwell and Commissioner. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director from the Tuolumne River Trust. So in the last month, we captured enough water to last more than two years. And we have enough water in storage to last five and a half years. But not a big surprise to me because the SFPC has really great water rights. In an average year, you're entitled to enough water to last three years. And the system certainly going to fill. Uh, actually, they're releasing close to 3,000 CFS into the lower Tuolumne right now. Uh, the requirement is 300 CFS, so almost 10 times as much as is required. So obviously, they're evacuating enough of the storage at Don Pedro to capture um, the expected snow melt, which is going to be significant. The snowpack is at 130% of annual mean and that usually doesn't occur until early April. So uh, we're in very good shape. In the very beginning of 2020, we brought an interim proposal to the commission that you could voluntarily release your share of the 40% unimpaired flow required by the Bay Delta plan for at least two years. And if those two years are really dry, you could take away your voluntary contribution, and you could still manage the eight-and-a-half-year design drought. Uh, so what would, things would have looked like three years ago, it would have been 40% unimpaired flow. Two years ago, 40%. Last year, 9% as it was. And then this year, probably quite a bit over 40%. What actually happened was over the last three years, it averaged about 12%. And now all that water we conserved and did a great job at it is going to get dumped this year. Um, we bring these issues forward, and back then there was talk about we need more information. We have seven workshops. We think we present. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 6A. I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Uh, thanks for your service, and thanks for letting us comment on 6A. Um, at our low point of water and storage, which I think was around December 1st, we had 900,000 acre feet. That's more than four years of supply then. In addition, the design draw contemplates 
that we average 150,000 acre feet of flows annually during the design drought. If you factor in the design drought flows and the Bay Delta plan required flows, we had more than five years of water available to us at that low point. Add in that we've already gone through three years of a drought, and that brings us to a total of eight years of water available to us, at least at the beginning of the drought, inclusive of Bay Delta plan required flows for these last next five years. There's a similar story of plenty of extra water for the, uh, during the 2012-2016 drought. And of course, for both droughts, flows remaining on the Tuolumne were a trickle. And as you've seen from the fish bio reports, the Tuolumne salmon haven't done well. Um, hopefully we can find solutions such as Mr. Dreckmeyer is offering uh, to help the salmon. Uh, and this is just an example of a situation. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 6A. Hello, my name is Libby Higgs and I am a resident of Modesto. I live about a mile and a half from the Tuolumne and um, Mr. Ritchie and Peter Dreckmeyer have, have given us wonderful news about the situation of water here and I'm, I'm gonna skip the numbers and just give you a little bit of personal data. Um, I'm, I wonder, do any of you think of the river as yours? Do you even think of it as, at all? Or is it just water that comes out of your faucets? I grew up swimming and hiking around the river. It is my river. I went to the river yesterday to see the effects of all the rains. It was amazing to see so much water and the Tuolumne again. We need to keep the river healthy, not just for us humans. The salmon, the birds, the animals, the gray fox, the trees, the plants, they're all in desperate need of water. And now that we have so much, can't you share? I mean, seriously, folks. We need, the people in the Modesto need a healthy river, a place where we can take our children and grandchildren. That is not the case right now. Please, lend us a hand. We're not asking for much. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, one more caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to come in on item 6A. Hello, this is Mark Gonzalez. And as part of the report, I would have liked to hear how you could have complied with the Del Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan and still had enough water for the needs of the residents of the Bay Area. And the other thing to Quality Control Board is working on is Owens Lake, which may not be related to us, but they're in an emergency situation. There are supposed to be voluntary agreements from the 1990s to allow Lake Mono to fill up. Right now, they're in a hazardous situation, possibly losing a main breeding ground for one quarter of the goals of California. We don't want that to happen to our river and our salmon. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 6A is closed. Madam Secretary, item 6B is uh, the SFPUC hiring process overview. Uh, Wendy Macy will be presenting. Before you come up and before you start, I would just like to give for my commissioners who are, are new a little um, 
kind of brief history and context, uh, context in which I, I asked for this report. Um, we passed a resolution in July 2020 at the PUC, and I'm going to just go over two of the resolve clauses. Um, further resolved that this commission directs the general manager to provide resources to change hiring, retention, and promotion practices to ensure personal decisions are made equitably and justly and ensure the workforce reflects our communities. Um, and then that the um, uh, further resolved that the, the commission directs the general manager to work with the San Francisco PUC staff to create a clear plan detailing the relevant resources, milestones, timelines, and data necessary for the successful implementation of this resolution. And so as you can see, um, we have a history of hearing from our, our personal, uh, I mean our personnel director. And, I, and that's why I asked for the report and asking for the parts of the process that we control. And I know civil service is doing some other things and HR, um, but the parts that the HRS controls. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, um, Madam Vice President. Um, good afternoon. I'm Wendy Macy. I'm the Chief People Officer. Um, may we have the slides, please? And um, I think those comments were very timely, um, Madam Vice President. Um, first, I'd like to provide a little bit of context. I know the commissioners are very um, well aware of uh, how we fall within the city and county of San Francisco, all their rules and so forth, but uh, members of the public may not be necessarily aware. So um, our hiring processes are governed by the city's charter, the Civil Service Commission rules, Department of Human Resources, and many other external sources, as you've mentioned. I do want to focus most, most of our presentation on what we're doing individually within HRS, um, but I also want to emphasize how much we have been really pushing collaboratively with our other partners to make changes that need to be done holistically in order for us to have our changes be successful. Um, so in the next slide, um, you can see that there are multiple stages in the hiring process. Um, some of our viewers may not be aware, but in a civil service environment, there are multiple steps in the process, um, which may be um, unlike what they might see in the private sector. That involves getting the positions approved, um, coming up with a recruitment and outreach plan, coming up with an examination process by which we select the candidates, um, basically vetting the candidate to be able to, uh, once we've selected the most highly qualified candidates, um, and then finally bringing them aboard to our team. So we really work very hard in our communications with both of our hiring managers as well as our candidates so that they understand and are fully informed of the process as they go along. Um, going to this um, hiring timeline, which has been very critical, some of you may have seen some data that was reported by our Department of Human Resources, which showed the PUC at a very, very high number of days. And obviously, that was uh, quite alarming to us as well. But when we drilled down with DHR, what we found was uh, they had implemented a new uh, applicant tracking system called Smart Recruiters recently. 
And um, in going through some of the data, which is very, very new, um, very, very small sample sizes were used to extrapolate that data to come up with hiring timelines. When we uh, met with them repeatedly um, to go over the data, we found that actually RPUC data compares favorably with the rest of the city. Even though we're a very large and complex department, uh, each of our steps that we have in this hiring process we actually do pretty well. We were able to actually drill down into our data. Uh, we're looking at many, many recruitments, not just the ones that um, were in smart recruiters. But nonetheless, we know that in excess of 200 days, is, uh, it puts us at a very, very much of a competitive disadvantage, especially with other of our competitors. So um, we are endeavoring to do everything we can to expedite the hiring process to make it more inclusive, to make it more welcoming to our candidates and all those things which um, the commission and its resolution are looking for. Uh, obviously, these, uh, these issues with hiring within the city, as I'm sure you're all aware, are not new. Um, our rules were developed uh, nearly 100 years ago, and uh, an audit was done by the controller's office in 2015 looking at the hiring process. Our DHR uh, director has said uh, publicly that Utilizing the same processes, it would take about five years to catch up, which obviously uh, we feel like we are in an emergency situation and that would not be a, a, any kind of tenable position to be in. So what we're trying to do is really, again, attack the problem from all angles, uh, what we can do ourselves, what we can do with others, but we know that reimagining the entire process is necessary. Uh, we conduct hundreds of recruitments a year, um, many of those only basically uh, yield one candidate at a time. So filling one position at a time, which is our current system, uh, again and again and again is not going to catch up on uh, making a dent in our vacancy rates against we unless we completely uh, reimagine, um, rethink, and, and redo the hiring process. So, um, and again, I, I know you want us to focus on uh, our own ideas, but we do work with the Hiring Modernization Steering Committee, uh, which is basically uh, the six largest departments in the city, where we collaborate, come up with best practices. Uh, we work with their data team, which has grown exponentially, um, and look to pilot things that we can then implement citywide. And um, being a thought leader in that group has been very helpful because we can understand what things uh, some of these large departments are doing, as well as share what we are doing and uh, also offer to pilot different initiatives. Uh, there are a number of these groups that we, that we, that we deal with. Civil service is important, because um, there's not, you know, we, we work in that environment. Actually, tomorrow in this very room, <laughs> the Civil Service Commission is going to be meeting on some changes to the civil service rules. And so um, part of our role is um, we, we come and we provide input, comment, and so forth um, to discuss some of these rules going forward. Because again, uh, even though these are citywide reforms, they're going to benefit us at the PUC. And so um, um, we're anxiously awaiting that conversation. Um, once those, those rules are deliberated upon tomorrow, uh, it then goes into a process where we have a uh, meet and confer uh, with our labor partners. So um, again, we're very, very active participants in those rules. Um, and you know, we have also uh, uh, many other things. But 
I think the one thing, or really the two things that we can do here at the PUC, um, and we dabbled a, dabbled a little bit into it, um, but we need DHR support, um, civil service support to do them, is really rethinking and reimagining the exam process. We've been very traditional in the city and county of San Francisco in, in looking at an exam as a means by which to um, determine who are the most highly qualified candidates. Our exams are not, uh, have not been uh, perhaps as nimble as we would like, and particularly during the pandemic, uh, with uh, in-person testing being largely shut down, that's where the city started to really get into this big hole. Um, and the vacancy rates really, really um, uh, increased um, so much through every city department. So there are a couple ways that you can address exams in a, in a different way that um, will allow hiring to be uh, more, more equitable and, and faster. One is um, the frequency of the exams and moving some exams to a continuous uh, basis. Some exams in the city are only done every year, every two years. So obviously, um, uh, our hiring managers wait months and months sometimes to get a list by which they can do some hiring, and um, that's obviously very difficult operationally. Um, and importantly, our candidates, you know, we can't just go out there and say, hey, come and apply for such and such classification if the exam isn't being offered right then and there. So one of the things we really want to do is, um, and we, I've done, you know, we've done this in other jurisdictions, it's been done in other jurisdictions, is that move things to a more of a continuous testing cycle. So again, we can be out there, we can tell candidates, come and apply, test, take your test now. We'll have a, a constantly populated list um, so that people can hire more expeditiously. We have a number of classifications, some of them ones that are more, most problematic here at the PUC because they're generic uh, citywide classifications in certain series, the admin analysts, the uh, uh, you know, management analyst series. Um, moving those towards a continuous basis we think would be a, a tremendous innovation that would help uh, many of our, many of our um, divisions. Uh, the second thing, which I think it has you know, even more of an equity component, is the remote testing which is why do we need to have people come in and do an in-person test? Um, so looking at ways in which testing can be done remotely, I mean, think of the possibilities. We have employees in six counties. Our employees in Moccasin do not want to drive to San Francisco to come and take a test. So having a, an opportunity where people can take the test from the comfort of their own home or from a, a you know, computer facility that's made available to them um, really frees people up because they don't need to look for childcare, they don't need to deal with traffic and other logistical considerations. If they work best at 3 a.m., that's great. Um, you know, it's been done in other jurisdictions. We've called it anytime, anywhere testing. Uh, again, we think uh, the PUC is a uh, uh, wonderful uh, pilot for such a program because, again, because of our broad uh, geographic scope. Um, and again, we think that this, this really widens our candidate pool. It shows our candidate pool that uh, they don't have to come to us, we'll come to them, basically. So those are the two of the things that um, um, you know, are being contemplated, again, on a citywide basis and ones that we, we like to do ourselves here at the PUC. So within HRS and within what we can do at the PUC, uh, one of the other uh, big initiatives we have done is really work on our prioritization. As I mentioned, we do hundreds of recruitments a year. We fill hundreds of positions a year, but 
um, without any kind of um, uh, understanding about which are the top priority uh, and most important positions to our enterprises or bureaus, to the commission, to the, 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 the top, uh, uh, you know, safety sensitive, whatever the highest priorities are, without an understanding of that data, um, if everything is a priority, nothing's a priority. So we spent a lot of time creating these hiring priority dashboards where we can analyze uh, numbers of vacancies, percentage of vacancies, uh, anticipated retirements, uh, other data sets, so that we can actually streamline and prioritize the recruitments that we do. We have a very talented uh, team that runs our exams and recruitments. Um, but they, uh, they don't necessarily have the capacity to do all of them all at once. So again, having a prioritization and then working with our customers to uh, consolidate recruitments whenever possible, uh, including, um, uh, you know, so it's, so it's not just one for one, um, helps us uh, really do capture the low-hanging fruit and make a bigger dent in the vacancies. So this has been a very important thing. Another initiative uh, has been the lean process improvement, uh, which uh, certainly I can't uh, take credit for. It's, it was worked on um, uh, years before I got here, starting in 2018. Um, and it's a methodology whereby each of the staff uh, basically process map or look at every little step of the hiring process and identify any time where there's a potential bottleneck, a redundancy, uh, uh, something where it might be rife for error. And then what we do is we take those uh, and make them individual projects that each of the staff owns as, as a project that they are trying to solve. And so what we're doing is we're trying to take these uh, bureaucratic um, bottlenecks, solve them one at a time. I mean, they may say three days here, five days here, 10 days here, uh, it, it doesn't matter. It, 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 cumulatively, they all add up. And the important thing is that this is a process that's really owned by the staff. It's not a top-down process. It's a, it's, it's a methodology where everyone uh, feels ownership in the solutions as well. So we think that's very important. Uh, so the next uh, slide, again, I just want to reiterate some of the things that we really do um, independently to, to improve the hiring process, the lean process improvements. They have made a, uh, we met just this morning, they, we continually meet, they, they, they're making a dent. Uh, we have some recommendations that we'll provide, be providing to the general manager about the way we streamline our work with our departmental personnel liaisons as a result of that work. Our data dashboards, our use of the, of the most up-to-date exam techniques, uh, participating in citywide efforts, um, looking more at uh, the entire sort of work stream of, of bringing a candidate on board, including onboarding, and um, really having that spirit of innovation and entrepreneurship that the PUC has always had. With respect to the citywide initiatives, we want to go first. We want to be the one out there. We want to be the ones who are trying these new things and seeing how they work. Some may not. Some may work partly. But we do think it's, it's important to be out there and, again, have that spirit of innovation um, because we have such a large and complex thing. If it's going to work at the PUC, it's going to work anywhere at the city. So we want to be the ones out there. Um, I do want to talk about retention. Uh, retention is something that all of us own. We all in this room own retention. But obviously, given that it's so hard to catch up and fill vacancies, our best strategy is to increase and improve retention. So we're constantly looking at employee engagement. Uh, we do uh, take very seriously when employees depart the commission. Uh, we do exit surveys. 
We analyze that data with respect to our engagement surveys and look for opportunities for improvement. Uh, we do myriad survey tools. We've got a couple of um, uh, pulse surveys coming up. We try to have a flexible uh, uh, work um, environment where we've really embraced the hybrid work schedule. And um, we've pushed actually you know, with the city on the hybrid work schedule. And we find that that has been something that has been, um, we appreciate obviously the, the folks that have to come in every day, but for the office staff, um, in a highly competitive environment with many uh, private and public sector employers that offer full remote, that flexibility of the hybrid work has been, um, has been very welcome. Um, we also have been very supportive of the city's family-friendly work ordinance and um, um, you know, have, have uh, moved a lot of those requests forward. We promote well-being at work. Um, and we really work with our enterprises and bureaus, and I really want to give some kudos to um, some of them because the work that they do is really what drives uh, climate. It drives culture. Um, we've noticed that um, infrastructure has done some great things in, in looking at videos and things like that to show, to show uh, ownership in the team. Um, our People Science and Strategy Group has been working with our partners in external affairs to try to see how we can create some of these promotional toolkits um, to, again, provide greater transparency in how our uh, colleagues at the PUC can uh, learn to move and grow within the PUC um, and have a wonderful, thriving career here. Um, one of our other initiatives has been um, something that's called the Exempt to Permanent Program. And it's one which we spent a lot of work on, but it's basically an opportunity for employees to transition from a, uh, uh, you know, not a permanent employment to, uh, to an actual civil, ser civil service employment. So we've promulgated a number of lists. Um, those lists last for a year, so we believe in the upcoming months, many of our staff will transition into permanent positions at the PUC, which we believe um, will improve morale and retention. Uh, here is something that, you know, where we have all of our jobs posted. Um, we post on LinkedIn and other sites. We do uh, partake in a number of diversity-related outreach opportunities. Um, it's a very core value and goal in our recruitment and outreach. We have service agreements with the Professional Diversity Network, uh, jobdiversity.com, to expand our outreach. We use ha uh, Handshake to advertise at colleges and universities. Uh, we put everything in our social media networks, DHR's LinkedIn, um, sends to a number of diversity rec recruitment postings. Um, we've increased our participation at job fairs. Uh, we strategize with our hiring managers to make sure that we uh, promote diversity um, and that we obviously have fairness and equity in all of our hiring pa uh, panels. Um, we work on the agency-wide racial equity um, work along with our other colleagues in the enterprises and bureaus. And we're also hiring a 1250 diversity recruiter. So finally, here are some links uh, where more information can be found. Um, want to appreciate all of the HRS team. Want to appreciate uh, Melissa White, who's our talent acquisition manager, who's here also for questions. Um, Ken Sid Wong, Connie Chow, and Carlos Cervantes, and others who participated in this presentation. And um, we really appreciate you, Commission, because you're taking an interest in our work. Um, really helps us. It helps motivate the team. Um, and we would invite you to be um, partners. You guys have wonderful networks. You have great uh, reach and status in the community that um, can help us in our efforts to uh, diversify our outreach. So with that, um, 
um, we're pleased to answer any questions the commission may have. Colleagues, any questions? Thank you. I um, have have a, a, a number, a couple of them. But one was on the, the uh, time to hire permanent hiring timeline. And again, I was kind of wanting to focus on what we can do. Now, you mentioned civil service, you mentioned HR, and you mentioned some of the things that they're doing. That's fine. Um, and then I looked at your 78 days on the uh, time to hire permanent hiring timeline, if you can bring up the, um, I think it's the third slide. Yes, that one. So where do we stand in the 78 days? I mean, where, you know, this, where are we in that? What part of the 78 days, um, I mean, if you can be, give me a little bit more detail. And I guess what I was looking for, you were very generic on, on your things, which is okay and I can understand that, but I wanted to kind of get a little bit more detail about what we are doing. Um, you know, you mentioned testing. But doesn't that depend on I mean, classifications and which ones? You know, so we need a little bit more information. Um, you know, and it's not just about what was in the Chronicle, but as I mentioned, we've been looking at this since 2020 in, in resolution. So it's really ongoing. And that's why I wanted to um, you know, have a little bit more information. You mentioned that what we read, what was in the Chronicle wasn't right. Well, what is right? What are the number of days? And why are they and where are they? Um, and you, you mentioned that the staff is doing, kind of delving into details. Which ones? Give me examples. So um, focusing on, uh, th those are excellent questions, Madam Vice President. Focusing on that, uh, what you had mentioned, this, uh, this last uh, part of the hiring process, um, we, do, we do see delays in getting a person uh, actually on board. And some of that we do own, some of that we are subject to uh, uh, rules and policies of the city. Um, some of these we are pushing back on um, in terms of, uh, for example, uh, uh, fingerprinting. <laughs> they're, 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 you know, so we're trying to see if uh, all, the, all the occasions or if there's a way to streamline the fingerprinting process. That's something that often takes a delay. Uh, as fingerprints go into the uh, DOJ and so forth. Um, the medical screening, I know we've had a number of conversations uh, and, and initiatives working with our, uh, again, our, our sort of hiring managers as well as the uh, department that handles medical screenings to talk about how to, how to make that a, a better process. Um, and they, they, those may sound um, like they're small, but they're actually ones that take a lot of time. Um, I'm, I focused on exams, again, because that is the thing that takes the longest. And so uh, if, we can, if we can really reduce the exam time, that's where we, we actually have the biggest bang for a buck. Uh, the front end, the request to fill, we, we've pushed, we pushed, our general manager has pushed. Um, we've actually gotten um, some of those to move through the pipeline quite, quite a bit more quickly. In fact, that's put what messed up some of the data was because they moved them so quickly, it showed that it went before the other step and then it, it, uh, it uh, uh, didn't calculate correctly. So um, that's something where I, you know, I congratulate General Manager Herrera because he has really taken an active interest in the request to fill process and making sure that those go through in a streamlined way. Uh, 
you know, I mean, just there, there are certain rules that we have to follow, and and. So what you said that there's some of these things that we own. So on the things that we own, what are we doing about what we're owning? That's kind of what I, I understand because there's so much we can't do about anything about. But what you said that we own, what are we doing about what we own? I think um, some of the things that we have the most uh, flexibility in doing that we have been doing is being more creative in our outreach, uh, relying, again, on our partners who do wonderful things in our communications to our staffs and our potential candidates that DHR does not own, that we, can, we, we own there. Uh, we have uh, cut out many steps in the process, un unnecessary bureaucracy, where we found that over time uh, it developed, and then when you look at it, when you, it turns out there really was never a rule that said you had to do it, but it was something that grew over time. So we've eliminated some steps doing that. Um, I think people would, would tell you that uh, we've been getting a lot more recruitments through than we have in the past. Um, again, with this uh, E2P program, uh, because you had to do a lot of the front end to create these lists, we're only just now going to see the people actually move through in the next coming months, just because of the way that cycled. Um, we spent a lot of time on that process. Uh, it, it will yield, I think, great benefits. I do think a lot of our retention strategies, um, we're also seeing a turn in, we had a lot of turnover um, about a year ago, more so than we'd ever had. I mean, a lot of it is you know, the market and all the things that were happening in the pandemic. But that's sort of stabilizing a little bit. We analyzed that data. Um, again, the, the best way to not have to spend time doing a recruitment is to keep the wonderful employee that we have. And, and so, analyzing that data, what did you find? So we analyzed it um, by um, organization, by uh, uh, the type of turnover, by the number of years of service the employees had had who had turnover by month. Um, and and we, we can slice and dice it any number of ways. And what we, what we have to be, I mean, to be honest, I'll tell you, HRS is one of them that has the highest amount of turnover. Oh. It has had the highest amount of turnover. It's a very, very difficult market to keep HR folks. Um, it's a very hot market. And, um, and we, we, we work them hard. I know how important this is to you, and we all work really, really hard. And we, and we challenge ourselves. Um, um, but, you know, I also, we, we, we also want to show them that they're valued employees. We have so many opportunities through the city for HR people to kind of move about, as well as in the private sector where, you know, to be honest, there are some where they have full remote and other things that we just can't offer. Um, but, you know, I own that. I own that I have that, that we've had the highest uh, amount of turnover in that, in that group. But again, that gives us an opportunity to really analyze and drill down and, and, and talk to people and say, what, what is it about this work that keeps you energized, that keeps you wanting to be here at the PUC? I'm sure if they're watching this, which I guarantee you they all are, they're, they, they're thrilled that you guys are asking these tough questions. They're thrilled because it really shows that you care and that you care about their work, um, and that you're a partner with us. Um, those are some of the intangible things that actually uh, will make the bigger difference than slicing five days here, not having mailing here, blah, blah, blah. That's honestly what makes the biggest difference.
Well, also, I, 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 I appreciate that because when I looked at it and you said, um, uh, it says enhanced staffing, You're st you know, so I'm thinking, okay, um, that's another way of saying we need more people. And so this is a great um, opportunity, as you mentioned, because if you can do it right um, with what you have, then it can, it can really be helpful. Now, you also mentioned that other, you're working with other partners, other departments are doing different things. What are they doing? Give me two things that they're doing that you think could be applicable to the PUC. You know, they're different. Um, I don't know who you met, Muni or whoever, but... Um, and what are what are we what are we kind of looking looking at here? So, there was another department that was in another meeting that I was at the the other day, and they mentioned that they um, and I don't know, counselor, if this is something we can do at the PUC, but they mentioned a uh, uh, incentive that they give to candidates who are not successful in the pro in the process to give feedback. So a de minimis gift card. Mm -hmm. And actually understand from those candidates um, how did they feel about the process. I mean, maybe they weren't successful, but that doesn't mean um, they won't be successful in other recruitment. We want to make sure that we keep them engaged. I thought that was a wonderful idea. Um, I immediately <laughs> sent, you know, sent a message to the staff, hey, this, is, this other department is doing this. Is this, something, is this something that we can do? I mean, I thought that was very smart um, um, and a way to, again, keep, keep people engaged. That, that, was, that was one thing that resonated. Um, I've also, uh, again, learning not just from other departments, from learning from our, our bureaus. I've learned, from, I've learned from infrastructure on some of the things that, that they do with their lunch and learns, learns. I participated in some of their lunch and learns. They have a very robust uh, program with a very, very high level of participation. I've learned other departments um, use affinity groups that have met through the pandemic with wildly successful uh, uh, participation. Um, that gave me another idea. Um, again, every time I go to one of these meetings, I'm energized with some of these great um, opportunities uh, for us within the PUC because I do believe that we are the best department in the entire city and county of San Francisco, and I want everyone to believe that. And I want everyone to come here, and I want everyone to stay here um, and just do the great work that we're doing. Right. Well, then, thank you very much for that. And I agree with you. There's, I agree with you. Um, but, and, and the hiring priority dashboard I thought was interesting, but I could hardly read it. So next time, I think it needs to be front and center because that kind of gives you the meat and potatoes of what we're doing. I mean, vacancies, because that's important. So that should be front and center, uh, you know, and I think we, we need to go into that. And I also want to give kudos to Steve Robinson because he's doing some great, amazing things. And I think, well, yes, you are. And when we talk about um, classifications, you know, that's extremely important. And this is important because we're going to be going through the budget. We went through some other, um, you know, departments uh, or other work uh, parts of the enterprises, and everybody's about people. We can't do this because we don't have enough people. We don't have enough. That's why this is an emergency. And that's why I need to know, we need details. We need to know exactly what you're, some of the things you're thinking about. You know, this is policy. And again, we started it in 2020. So it's not just about now and quarterly. And we might meet more often. We've had, you know, with the HR, um, HR director, we met more 
I mean the PUC HR director, we, we met regularly on, on particular things. So I just want you to know it is important and I appreciate your work and I look forward to um, hearing again in a little bit more detail. But I certainly appreciate you all coming and I know you work hard. You know, and that's why we have an interest. In, and all of those people who work in HR, it's not an easy place to work. So thank you again. Um, any, any further questions? Yes, Tim. Commissioner Paulson. Sorry. So I have a comment and, and a question. And the comment is, is that one, um, this is extremely important and it's not just this department and citywide and I'm extremely, you know, glad to hear you say that you believe we're the best and we're the most engaged on this and you know that's the type of um, you know diligence that I think we're looking for as as we move through this area um, and whether or not it's the public sector or the private sector there's always um, you know there is no I gotcha question I mean things are just so complicated I mean unless it has to do with sweetheart deals or lack of transparency or the fact that you know there's just absolute nothing is getting done because we don't have enough people most of the stuff is you know in the weeds of the of the report that you're telling us you know what depending on what department it is and you know whether or not you're, you're you know competing with another department or whether or not there's a certain category that is always you know you know seems to be vacant or turned over or you know all those weeds of details that that you obviously are uh, very much exploring but you know, one thing that I've noticed, you know, is that you know we are a city that where, you know, the, the supermajority of the employees in the city and county of San Francisco are represented by a labor organization, and um, and I've always known that you know they seem to be, you know, by having a voice at work, you do have, you know, not just yourself, but you actually have a representative in a union, not just you know your supervisor or the folks for the on the employer side, and. And representatives know it's like, oh my God, we're going to need 300 electricians next year, and it's all screwed up. I mean, there is so much of that resource out there that the different labor organizations know, um, you know, by listening to their employees. It's like, oh my God, we had three people quitting. I'm having to work, you know, twice as hard in overtime, and I'm sick of this crap. I mean, all that stuff. This is a long way of me saying, I hope, because I did see it in bullet points, you know, in your presentation, but I do hope that there is ongoing in whatever capacity you have, labor relations discoveries and workshops um, during the course of, of this process as you're trying to you know, get the pins a little bit more uh, indented in, in the hiring process. So um, I don't know if you have a comment. My question would be, you know, what is, how do the labor organizations fit into these workshops and meetings and, and uh, you know, setting up the logarithm of you know, how we get things done from 73 days to 72 to 71 or whatever that might be. So just a co general comment on that resource, the employees and their organizations. Um, yes, Mr. Commissioner, um, through the chair, I, I actually have on calendar in the, in the coming weeks, they're already on calendar, a, a number of meetings with our labor partners to actually talk about hiring and to get their ideas and feedback because um, my experience in the past has been some of the um, most creative ideas about developing pipelines have come from our labor partners. Um, we also are going to have conversations with our labor partners with respect to the Civil Service Commission rules um, once they are heard by the commission. Um, and I uh, fully anticipate that we'll be participating in that process as well. Yeah, and, and just, just to let you know that there is, um, if, and I assume you do anyway, and I know that uh, uh, Carol and others at, at, at uh, DHR know that there is a public employee meeting 
of the Labor Council with hundreds of unions that meet to talk about citywide issues um, all the time, and that's always, you know, a reach out to that organization through the Labor Council is always a good way of, of you know, getting engaged. You know, Thank it's, you. it's a two-edged two sword sometimes, but at the same time, it's, you know, if you want more engagement, that's a, a resource that uh, I've known to be very helpful to employees and the city. Um, Commissioner Rivera. Hello. Um, I just wanted to first start out by saying uh, I know HR is like the, um, it's like walking into a war room of every, any department or enterprise, their HR office. There's issues constantly. There's never an easy day. And I just want to thank you for everything you're doing, your staff. I know it's kind of like uh, climbing Mount Everest every morning when you see all the issues that you have to deal with. So I absolutely appreciate it. Um, furthermore, I just wanted to say that I wholeheartedly support any um, way that, that we can um, help you to make the hiring process more efficient. I, I have a lot of um, experience dealing with HR, trying to hire personnel, uh, developing uh, tests because a DHR did not accept a definition of a certain employee we were trying to get it at, at a time. Anyway, it is a really, really difficult um, uh, uh, task to try to hire new employees. Um, so I have one comment and then I also have one question. So with that being said, do, do we as SFPUC have a mechanism to hire temporary employees? Because I know other departments do, and I know that that's not an answer, but sometimes that's like a, a little um, stopgap in, in, in terms of, you know, emergency situation where we can bring someone on for maybe 90 days or 120 days. So at least, you know, we, we have trucks going out or, or administrative work being done. Um, that's my question. And then I also, I just wanted to make one comment is that um, I understand the testing is archaic, you know, in many, in many cases, you know, civil service testing. Um, uh, in terms of remote testing, I think that someone who lives in Moccasin should have access to testing in Moccasin. I don't feel that they should be tested from home. I think that that opens up a whole other um, uh, uh, possibilities for security, for cheating, you know, if I'm if if we're hiring a uh, mechanical engineer, I don't want that person, you know, at home uh, going on to Google and getting the answers and getting this test right. I want this person to make sure that we're getting someone who's totally qualified. So that's just my my opinion. I'm a city kid, so I mm -hmm. I, I know how how uh, things get done sometimes. Um, so that that's it. Um. Through the chair, yeah. I mean, actually, the, the, the statistics that we gave were for our PCS hiring, which is our civil service hiring, which is the most time-consuming. We do hire a number of exempt employees through other avenues, use provisional appointments and so forth, which doesn't take nearly as long. But we wanted to be really just throw it all out there and throw, throw the worst-case scenarios to you. Okay. Thank you. Any further questions? Um, I, I have one more, and that is you mentioned testing. Uh, and then you said you wanted to do something different. What, what is that? What would be an alternative to testing? You keep looking at Dennis. Dennis, is it okay for an answer? No, I just, I want to, I want to, um, one thing that, um, uh, 
Madam Chair, that uh, I think we really need to look at the way that we um, determine who is the most qualified for a job. It may not necessarily be um, the fanciest degree. It may not necessarily be the number of years of experience. It may be, again, uh, you know, looking at volunteer experience could be just as valuable. It may be, um, it may be actually work experience. It may be, and so I, what I would like to see explored is alternatives to, to testing altogether where basically on the job training is the test. That's what I really would like to get to. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like that. I think that's, that's great. Well, you know, it seems like those are kind of things I was, I was trying to get to because I know we're doing some great things <coughs> and innovative things. And so I wanted to kind of get it out um, so people know we are, we're, on, we're on this, we're on top of it, but it's good to hear it. So I, coming, you know, like we mentioned quarterly, we might um, have a little bit, we might, we might need you to come back a little sooner. I know I would like to hear something about the baseline. Where are we? You know, what's our baseline? And then we know where we're going. So if our baseline is two and, and, and next week we're three, at least we see some movement and we know where we're going. So I would like to kind of get into the vacancies and also the classifications and, and what, who, who could really qualify for ongoing testing? Because I don't know that everybody, but if we know what categories can, then that might, classifications, and that, that's interesting to know and just to keep abreast of. So again, thank you, and I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you not very too, much. Not too often so that you can't get your work done. I understand that. <laughs> but, but often enough that we have an idea of what's going and, 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 and have a, we're in contact. We're always pleased to share with the commission and the public all the work that we're doing. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Madam President, are you ready for public comment? Public comment? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 6B, the hiring process overview, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item 6B? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 6B. The commissioners, you do understand that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission is an enterprise department. You also do understand that you have a new general manager. You also understand that in the last three years, many managers, middle managers, have left the SFPUC. Have you done a needs assessment as to the corruption that is still prevailing at the SFPUC and how it impacts the employees? Do I have a primitive, very primitive way of hiring employees? But what you should speak openly is how the employees are targeted within the system. They will not talk to you, but they will talk to me. 
show during this pandemic, many of the good employees decided to leave SFPUC. And they found better opportunities. So I'm just saying this because you need to do a needs assessment. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 6B. Thank you, Peter Dreckmeyer. I just wanted to thank Commissioner Maxwell for not forgetting about this important issue. Um, it was a good discussion, good presentation, and it took a while to get there, but I want to remind all the commissioners that when you make an information request or presentation request, you got to stick with it and make sure that it gets listed on the advance calendar with a date when it's expected to be delivered uh, in order that it doesn't get lost. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 6B is closed. Madam Secretary, that concludes my report. Thank you. Next, next item, please. Next item is item number seven, report of the Bay Area Water Supply Conservation Agency General Manager. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Sankulabaska, CEO. If I can have the slides when Mr. Ritchie gets them. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, today, I'm pleased to be before you. I wanted to report on some results of a recent survey that Bosca actually completed with its member agencies about a month back uh, regarding their drought response actions. And this survey was done to really support some discussions we were anticipating at that time to have um, in anticipation of continued drought conditions. And while those, that answer isn't over yet, um, and we'll still be looking at this to figure out what it means for moving forward, I did want to present it to you because I think it's some inf interesting information. I know our board has found it quite interesting. So as a reminder, there's 26 Bosca agencies. So this was a survey of all 26 of them. Um, you've got on the left side a list of drought response actions, um, some big, some small. For example, at the very top, uh, we let off with um, advanced metering infrastructure. So these are these real-time meters that you have in the city. And the question of, you know, how many agencies have either implemented or have plans to implement. Obviously, this is not necessarily something they were doing because of the drought, though some have um, advanced it uh, more uh, forward more quickly, but it's a tool during a drought. And so that was an important question to ask. Um, of our 26 agencies, 20 of them are doing that work. So that was, I think, a helpful piece of information. We also have things like the prohibited uses of water, leak alerts. Um, the one I we were really looking at was watering schedule. You know, how many do two days per week? And that's 19 agencies. Um, 
Six have other types of watering schedules, again, kind of targeting that outdoor water use, which we know is, is a real critical component of trying to achieve a targeted water conservation savings. Uh, we have 24 agencies that implement rebate and conservation programs, um, and uh, several actually that have non-functional turf bans active as well. Um, so obviously a pretty comprehensive list. One of the things we're looking at is how to analyze further with other data that we have the success of these actions. So that's something we're considering moving forward. We also kind of looked and tried to identify some unique actions that the agencies are taking as well. So this is a, a map of the Bosca service area uh, in the three counties, uh, San Mateo, uh, Santa Clara, and Alameda County. And we called out just a few, uh, this is certainly not all, but starting from the top left, for example, Daly City, who has an existing recycled water facility, is actually looking for new ways, um, new customers, essentially, to take advantage of the recycled water that they have available. One of our smaller agencies, North Coast County Water District, serving the city of Pacifica, actually moved to a direct rain barrel purchase program where you can actually purchase it directly from the water district, so kind of cutting out the middle person or the middle step. Cal Water, your largest wholesale customer, um, actually has quite an aggressive social media campaign with specific drought advertisements that are triggered based on weather conditions. I can actually attest to this because I actually am delivered water by Cal Water. Uh, Menlo Park uh, implemented a drought surcharge. Alameda County Water District, which serves Fremont, Newark, and Union City, they actually have a rapid action notification system for emergencies and other purposes. So they actually do drought alerts through that rapid action notification system to their customers. And they have found that to be very, very useful as well. Milpitas, um, this is an interesting model. So one of our major programs is a lawn replacement program. What we know with the lawn replacement program is it puts a lot of burden on the customer to make it happen. You know, they have to take a lot of actions to actually achieve and get the rebates. So they have to be very motivated to do that. To resolve that issue, Milpitas is actually partnering with City Forest in their service area to provide full service lawn conversions for homeowners, which I think is a pretty unique action as well. And then lastly, um, San Jose has actually prohibited a turf high water use plants spray and overhead sprinkler in new construction as well. So I, I think kind of an exciting list that we're looking forward to um, learning more about and figuring out how effective they've been for this drought and possibly future drought. So, you know, what are the next steps given the recent rain? I know uh, last week Mr. Ritchie got some pressure from my board to say, you know, the drought is over, and I appreciate the fact that he could not say that. Um, it's certainly premature to declare that given how early we are in the rain, rainy season. So we will continue to coordinate with your staff as this season continues, and as Mr. Ritchie mentioned, um, your contract with the wholesale customer requires that you notify them by April 15th about the estimate of wholesale water supply availability and hopefully it'll be before then but it'll certainly be by then. Um, lastly, I, I did want to make a separate remark. Um, I wanted to take this opportunity to express appreciation uh, to Mr. Ritchie and his team for the leadership and excellent work uh, they have displayed during the most recent historic storm events. 
your staff skillfully and effectively manage the regional water system to ensure its continued operation, delivering water supply during very challenging conditions. In addition, they took a leadership role in coordinating emergency, coordinate, emergency operations, obviously internally, but also external communications in your affected watersheds, in particular, San Mateo County with Pillar Cedos and Crystal Springs Reservoirs, whose downstream communities, I'm sure you're aware, were experiencing flooding for reasons outside of your control. I expect as a as a broader community, we will all be reviewing this experience, identifying improvements we can make moving forward, and I anticipate both the PUC and Bosca will be a critical part of that conversation. But your staff and their efforts made a difference for these communities by working to minimize and manage the impact these historic storms have had on them, and I thank them very much for their efforts. So thank you for this opportunity to speak for you. I'll answer any questions that you may have. Something. Thank you, thank you very much. I have a question. Uh, the San Jose slide, it says that San Jose high turf water use spray and overhead um, sprinklers. Now, are you talking about uh, plant sprinklers overhead or fire sprinklers overhead? Plant sprinklers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, you know, there's like kind of the, the taller ones that oh, I spray up as opposed to low drip type of things. I see. We don't see a lot of those. Uh, no, you probably don't. But really again, do larger irrigated areas yeah. um, that make sense down there in a lot of times, or it, more historical, if you will, unless yeah. you deal with that issue. And they're doing away with some of that. Then. Yes, they're in all new construction is no longer allowed. So what are they doing? Just you know, well, they have recycled water in much of that area as well. So again, it's about the efficiency of both sources. So um, there are newer, slightly more expensive alternatives for landscape irrigation, and it really depends upon the site. Overhead spray just is the more traditional. It's kind of like when you would go into, a, um, think about a schoolyard, for example, and it pops up and it goes click, 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 like those things. They're just a more traditional spray that in the absence of giving a direction for something newer, it wouldn't happen. Okay. So they're looking to more efficient standards. Thank you. Commissioner Paulson. I saw that same thing about sprinklers also. My red flag went up for two seconds. I thought they were banning overhead you know, fire sprinklers from the, from the nope. buildings. And I was like, <laughs> if anything, the, most cities are passing laws to make sure that they're more diligent in making sure they're in there. So we live a little longer. But anyway, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Call. Public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote, remote public comment on item number seven, the Bosca update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number seven? See none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you, public comment on item seven is closed. All right, next item, please. Next item is item eight, consent calendar. Um, colleagues, are there any omissions? Anything you'd like to know? All right, public comment on this item, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number eight, the consent calendar, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. 
Do we have any members of the public to provide comment on any items on the consent calendar? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public Thank you. comment on your consent calendar is closed. You may I have a motion and a second to approve the consent calendar. Motion to approve. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Roll call, please. Vice President Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. Commissioner Rivera. Aye. Commissioner Stacy. Aye. And you have four ayes. Thank you. Next item, please. The next item is item number 10. Accept and expend state funds sourced from the State Budget Act of 2022 and administered by the California Community Services Department to provide assistance to eligible Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF residential customers who accrued customer account arrears during the COVID-19 pandemic from March 4th, 2020 to December 31, 2021. M Madam Secretary, I think you missed item nine. March, what's nine? I'm sorry. Item, item nine. nine. Oh, I am so sorry. We are on item nine. I'm sorry. Thank you. Apologies for that. Item number nine, approve the water supply assessment for the proposed 395 Third Street project pursuant to the California Water Code Section 10.910, California Environmental Quality Act Section 21.151.9, and sequel guidelines Section 15155. Um, again, Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. I, I didn't leap out of my seat to say, wait a second, I've got an item here, I think. Um, this is actually uh, uh, a water supply assessment for a particular project, the proposed 395 Third Street project, uh, as we've been uh, before the commission before. We do these water supply assessments as legally required to provide the planning department with information about uh, the water use of the project uh, and whether or not uh, there is a water supply plan to accommodate it. Uh, as with all the other water supply assessments, uh, there's a report that's been uh, attached to the agenda item uh, that details that, uh, and because of our circumstances with the, uh, uh, with the State Water Quality Control Plan, it lays out a variety of scenarios uh, that we could face in the future. And the conclusion is that uh, you know, this project by itself, there is, there is ample water to um, provide it, and it itself does not, uh, not put us into an emergency situation. So again, this is not a project approval. This is simply approving information for the uh, planning department to use in their CEQA process. Uh, so I'd be happy to answer any questions. Colleagues, any questions or comments? No, thank you. All right, public comment on this item, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number nine, Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do any members of the public present to provide comment on item nine? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number nine. Thank you, Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. I'll make a comment I've made many times before. It always seems like there's water available for development, but never for the environment. And there's a real disconnect between the planning department and the SFPUC as the water provider. Um, a few years ago, we discussed this. this. There was interest from the PUC to have better communication. There was interest from the planning commission and nothing's happened. So I'll make that request again. I think it'd be good to have a joint workshop to talk about water supply so that both uh, departments are on the same page. Thank you. 
Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item nine is closed. Thank you. May I have a motion and a second to approve item? I move the item. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Roll call, please. President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner, Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Next item, please. Okay, now item number 10. Accept and expend state funds sourced from the State Budget Act of 2022 and administered by the California Community Services Department to provide assistance to eligible Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF residential customers who accrued customer account arrears during the COVID-19 pandemic from March 4th, 2020 to December 31, 2021. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Christina Venice. I'm a San Francisco City Fellow with the financial planning team. May I please have the slides? Thank you. Um, today I'll be discussing agenda item number 10, which requests the commission to accept and expend funds from the 2022 California Rearage Payment Program. Um, just to provide some quick overview of the program, um, the California Rearage Payment Program, also referred to as CAP, was established on July 13, 2021, as part of the Coronavirus Fiscal Recovery Fund through the American Rescue Plan of 2021. Um, at the time, $1 billion was appropriated to electric utilities for eligible, eligible residential and commercial customer rearages accrued during the COVID pandemic. Through Assembly Bill 125, the California Rearage Payment Program established that its program guidelines will be administered by the California Department of Community Services and Development. Assembly Bill 205 renewed this program, this time allocating $1.2 billion um, from the 2022 California state budget. To receive benefits, power customers would not be applying um, for themselves. Instead, utilities would be applying for grants and distributing them to the eligible customers. Eligibility for the 2021 program was indicated by an initial March 2020 to June 2021 timeline and allowed all customer types, um, residential, commercial, and municipal, to receive those benefits. Um, that first year, that program was actually oversubscribed, um, resulting in Clean Power SF um, receiving only a percentage of what was requested for residential customers and receiving no assistance for their commercial customers. Luckily, um, Hetch Hetchy Power um, was granted all of their requested funds. And um, just for context, that year, Clean Power SF received $2.4 million and Hetch Hetchy Power received $1.2 million. This year, for the 2022 iteration of the program, um, the timeline was now extended to March 2020 to December 2021, um, but limited those benefiting accounts to just residential customers. This year, I'm happy to share that both Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF were allocated all of its requested funds this year. Next, we have a snapshot of the um, CAP22 um, timeline. So the SFPUC applied for the program in late October 2022, and we were notified of our allocations through program notice 05 um, in late November. However, the agency um, received those checks for Hetch Hetchy Power on December 5th, 2022, and those funds for Clean Power SF um, were sent directly to PG&E. As per program guidelines, utilities have about have 60 days um, to distribute funds to those eligible customers from the date that we've received that check. 
Um, so since we received it on December 5th, that gives us a deadline of February 5th, um, 2023. Um, given this timeline, we are bringing this accept and expend request to the commission today, um, concurrent with our efforts to apply those credits as there was a very quick turnaround um, in the program process. Um, furthermore, from the latest information I have today, um, Hetchy Power credits were applied in January 10, on January 10, and it is ongoing to meet that deadline uh, for February 5th. And PG&E began applying those credits to its partnered CCAs um, on January 17th. Um, at this time, we've also begun gathering documentation for um, the Board of Supervisors' approval and are working to bring that item um, to February, in February. Um, the last step of the program will be to return any unspent funds and to submit a reporting survey to the state, um, which has been outlined to be due um, sometime around May, um, but we are awaiting for um, official instructions and that program no notice from the state. Um, as mentioned earlier, both Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF were allocated all of its requested funds Hetch Hetchy Power um, received $103,244, and Clean Power SF um, received $1,244,798, um, to be exact. Um, those allocations were based off of our application, um, which required a data poll of eligible customers by August 31st, 2022. Um, I bring that, um, I think that's an important to note because from the time we pulled that data, to the time um, we've received those funds and began prepping to distribute, distribute those credits, um, there have naturally been some changes to accounts' eligibility statuses. Um, some accounts have gone inactive and some have been able to pay off their debts. Um, therefore, our funding that um, are the credits that we will actually be applying to customers are as follows. $92,119 will go to benefiting 212 um, Hetch Hetchy Power accounts and the full allocated amount of $1,244,798 will go to Clean Power SF customers. Again, at, the time, we're, at this time, we're still waiting um, for more information from PG&E on total accounts benefiting, as they will be the ones who are um, applying the credits. The impact of this program is extremely valuable, um, but there's still much work to be doing to support our customers. Um, with these credits not covering full amounts of unpaid past due bills um, in either power utility, um, we're hoping that the ongoing initiatives um, by the Water, Power, and Sewer as Human Rights Working Group will help diminish these gaps. Um, these are our next steps. Um, we will be going to the Board of Supervisors for approval, as well as providing transparent communication to our benefiting customers. Um, we're also keeping up with PG&E and our customer service um, group to make sure that they finalize applied credits by the February 5th deadline. And lastly, um, we will be preparing to return our unspent funds to the state and work with our team to submit that reporting survey once that is released and the instructions are provided by the state. Um, thank you all so much and I'm happy to take any questions. Colleagues, any questions? Seeing none, great job. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Public comment on this item? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 10, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. 
Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number 10? Being none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 10 is closed. Thank you. May I get a motion and a second on item 10, please? So moved. Second. Been moved and seconded. Roll call, please. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacey? Aye. You have four ayes. Thank you. Next item, please. Next item is item 11, approve the terms and conditions of and authorize the general manager to execute one below market rent license with charity cultural services to use two workstations and one below market rent license with five key schools and programs to use one workstation on the third floor at Southeast Community Center and approve amendment, an amendment to section 4.41 of the San Francisco PUC's 2015 real estate guidelines to authorize a general manager to approve and execute for future, future below market rent licenses to qualified nonprofit community service organizations for the Southeast Community Center, provided that the Southeast Community Facilities Commission has recommended the license for SFPUC approval and other revised sections 4.4.1 criteria are met. Commissioners, I'm Rosanna Russell. I'm the real estate director and I am pleased to present the first of two approval actions for your consideration. Um, we, uh, we've been working very closely with the PU, uh, PUC Community Benefits Division to um, obtain tenants and licensees for the new Southeast Community Center at 1550 Evans in San Francisco. As you know, the Southeast Community Center is the replacement facility for the PUC's aging facility at 1800 Oakdale. Um, the Southeast Community Center, Center, in accordance with San Francisco Administrative Code Chapter 54, provides programming to promote the health, well-being, and cultural education, educational and financial empowerment of the Bayview-Hunters Point community. The third floor of the SECC was designed to provide both demised, meaning separate office space, and an open plan co-working space for nonprofit community organizations. The open plan space is called the community hub where we have workstations. Through a recent RFP process that we developed with the community benefits division, the PUC selected tenants and licensees for the third floor to further the mission of the Southeast Community Center. In this first agenda, we're asking you to offer authorized two below-market-rent licenses to two nonprofit organizations. These organizations, again, will provide community services to the residents of the Bayview-Hunters Point community. The first license is for the use of two workstations by Charity Commu Cultural Services. Charity Cultural Services was established in 1982 to empower underserved and underprivileged communities to become self-sufficient through education, vocational training, mentoring, case management, and job placement. The second license that we seek, for which we seek authorization, is for the use of one workstation by Five Keys Schools and Programs. Five Keys provides traditionally underserved communities the opportunity to, to improve their lives through education, employment, recovery, family, and community. Five Keys will provide 
educational services and also hosts the Southeast Community Center Digital Equity Program. This is the program where community members can check out laptops and participate in free digital literacy courses at the center. Under the licenses, each licensee will pay a use fee of $437 per month. This use fee represents 50% of the appraised fair market value, which is about $18 per rentable square foot of the space, plus a small service fee, which will cover additional services like Wi-Fi access. The $437 per month fee will increase by 3% annually. The licenses are for a month-to-month -month term for up to 18 months. Um, they will require the licensees to submit quarterly information to the Southeast Community Facility Commission about the community benefits they're offering and the effectiveness of the programs they will offer. These reporting provisions are designed to ensure that the center is occupied by licensees which are actively providing services and programs to further the SECC's mission. The Southeast Community Facility Commission um, approved these, uh, recommended approval of the licenses at its November 30th meeting. We as staff recommend that you approve these licenses because they further the SECC's mission, they meet the goals of the PUC's Community Benefits Program. We secured the licensees through an open and transparent RFP process. Um, and um, they also meet the um, mitigation, which requires that um, we offer benefits to the community. So in addition to approval of the licenses, we ask you to approve an amendment to our real estate guidelines, section 4.4.1. This would update the guidelines to reflect the existence and mission of the, of the Southeast Community Center, and it would also designate authority to the general manager to approve the handful of future community hub licenses at 50% of fair market value, provided that the criteria that we mentioned in the agenda are met. Um, I can go through the cr criteria, but in uh, interest of brevity, Brevity, I'm going to ask you if um, you have any questions for me. Thank you. Well, I guess, um, so you're saying that the general manager then would deal with, with any future um, contracts like this? Just for the workstation licenses. It's, um, as you can appreciate, it takes um, a significant amount of time to negotiate them. And, and bring them to the commission for your approval. We thought um, in the interest of managing our resources wisely, if these licenses ha were at 50% of, of fair market rent were approved by the Southeast community um, facility, not approved, I'm sorry, I keep saying that, recommended. It, and if they, they we had um, evidence that the li future licensees are financially solvent and and will provide the, the um, services that the community wants, that it may be fruitful to have the, delegate to the general manager the ability to sign these licenses. Um, this is under our real estate guidelines. There are extremely limited instances where the general manager can sign or indeed I can sign. Like for instance, I can sign 
I have a delegation of authority to sign the employee cottage leases under very specific circumstances. So we seek to offer you very specific circumstances for your consideration where you would delegate to the general manager the authority to sign these workstation licenses. But uh, the community being the um, commission, the Southeast Commission would have already looked at them and given approval and, and kind of given their stamp of approval. I think it's the word is recommendation, I've been told. Oh, okay, than recommendation. Yes. So they recommend these. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, colleagues, any further questions or comments? No, seeing none. Thank you then. Public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 11, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 11? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 11 is closed. We may have a motion and a second to approve item 11. Move to approve. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Roll call, please. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Next item, please. Next item is item number 12. Approve the terms and conditions of and authorize a general manager to execute individual five-year below-market rent leases with three nonprofit organizations. One, Third Street Youth Center and Clinic. Two, Into Action Incorporated. And three, Five Key Schools and Programs as tenants to use approximately 5,771 square feet of third floor office space at the Southeast Community Center. Good afternoon, Commissioners Rosanna Russell. This is the second agenda item today for the Southeast Community Center. We're asking you to approve these three individual five-year below market uh, rental value leases with three nonprofit organizations. These tenants were selected through the same RFP process where we selected licensees for the third floor. All are designed to further the SECC's mission. Um, here's a brief description of the three tenants. That, um, for which we seek your approval. The first is Third Street Youth Center and Clinic. This is an organization that was found, founded as a community effort to ensure that the 6,000 young residents of the Bayview-Hunters Point area had access to the same opportunities for health care, employment, and education as other youth in San Francisco. Today, Third Street reaches more than 1,500 young people each year through a wide range of services. This tenant would lease approximately um, 1,868 square feet of office space at a monthly rent of $3,804. The second tenant for which we seek your approvals and to action. This organization's mission is to engage, empower, and inspire action to promote equitable growth, build resilient communities, and achieve transformative social good. It delivers program development, community outreach, and capacity building services, as well as community development through event planning in the Bay Area. This tenant would rent approximately 2,025 rentable square feet of office space at a monthly rent of $4,708. Then we have Five Keys schools and programs again. Um, Five Keys pro 
um, provides traditionally underserved communities the opportunity to improve their, li their lives through education, employment, recovery, family, and community, as I mentioned before. Again, they would provide a program where community members could check out laptops and participate in free digital literacy courses at the center. This tenant would lease 1,878 rentable square feet of office space at a monthly rent of $4,487. Under the leases, the rent for each tenant represents a base rent of 50% of, of, of the appraised fair market rental plus a small service fee for, for services like a Wi-Fi. Um, the base rent will increase at by 3% annually. These leases qualify for reduced rent under our existing guidelines prior to amendment, um, which, which recognize that the PUC operates the, Southeast, the community center for the Southeast community regardless of revenues generated or expenses incurred to address the effects um, arising from the construction and operation of the Southeast Water Pollution Control Plant. Um, we believe that since the lease is further a public person and, and we as staff believe they meet the mission of, of um, serving the surrounding community, we believe that the below market rents are warranted and ask for your approval. Um, please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you. So under well, the amendment we just passed, we wouldn't see these, the general um, manager would just have made that decision? No, uh, these leases are five years long and we are not seeking a, um, a delegation of um, authority because we will likely go out to bid for them the next time. We, we, we are, they are being awarded, awarded pursuant to a request for proposals and a robust um, process and we intend to do that again for the leases as well as the licenses it's just the scope of um, the rent is uh, and the, is such and the demand for the offices is such we think it would be good for the Commission to approve these licenses uh, these leases in the future so so then the one of them is four thousand yes and that's fifty percent so yes, it would be it's, 8,000? Yes, it's based upon uh, an appraised, uh, appraisal in 2021, and we extrapolated. It's $18 per rentable square foot of office space. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Paulson. An adjacent, excuse me, an adjacent question is, um, you know, with this great community center um, jumping up and about, and I know there was, at least at the end of the year, there was still punch lists going on, and um, I know the coffee shop, for example, is just getting up and running supposedly right now. Is, is there a lot of buzz? I mean, are, is there good demand? And, and are, are these places filling up fast with, uh, with, with desire to get in there and set up uh, um, well, nonprofit I believe, headquarters? I believe the, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you. The Southeast Community Center opened. It's beautiful. Um, I didn't see any punch list items, but I'm not a construction person. <laughs> um, well, I don't mean serious stuff, but I mean a little dab of paint here and there. I mean, it's, it's basically open, I get it. But again, yes. my question is, are these things filling up? I mean- I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Are please. the spaces filling up? Is there buzz? Is, there, is this thing gonna be full like in two months and people are we have, pounding the door down or- we you know? For the lease spaces and the license spaces, we have more than enough demand. We, have, we had 13 proposers they wanted, each one of them would have taken all of the space. We fit them in in order of their scoring on the R, in the RFP process. 
and um, if we had another floor of space, we could have leased that out. I say that very safely. Afternoon, Stephen Robinson, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. Um, I just happened to be at the community centre yesterday and asked exactly that same question. There were quite a few people in the building. The Alex Pitcher room was busy and active. I asked the question to the staff, how are the requests coming in to program the space and use it? And they said they're already having a backlog and working through that process to activate the spaces. So it seems like there's really some energy buzzing around it now, which seems very positive. I think space like that for nonprofits is, is pretty uh, much like that throughout the whole city. I mean, it's, it's really um, difficult to get space and, and our community center is gorgeous and wonderful. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Any um, public comment on this item? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 12, please press star through to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number 12? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item number 12 is closed. And to approve item 12. Move to approve. Second. Right, it's been moved and seconded. Roll call, please. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Thank you. Next item, please. Next item is item number 13. Approve the second amendment to contract number PRO 0152, increasing the contract by $636 million for a total not to exceed contract amount of $895,742,800, subject to Board of Supervisors approval under Charter Section 9.118. Thank you, Commissioners. Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power. Good afternoon. I have a slide deck I'm going to walk through here to discuss this request. What we're requesting is an authorization to amend our Power Scheduling Coordination Services contract. Um, it's, a, it's a big one. That's why we're here today. Um, and it's big because it's not only is it a large dollar amount, as you just heard Commission Secretary Hood um, describe, but it's also just absolutely critical to the operations of our electric service programs, Clean Power SF and Hetch Hetchy Power. So um, here's a quick summary. Power started the RFP process that resulted in this contract back in 2021. The commission and the board approved it and it became effective June 2022. This summary shows that original contract uh, in the first uh, descriptive column as original 4.2 million in services, 130.5 million in uh, pass-through payments to the California Independent System Operator, and five, it's a five-year duration. So you can see the contract capacity is primarily for the pass-through function. That's where the main dollars go. The first amendment was executed January 6th. It's described there. And the further amendment is what we have brought to you for consideration and action today. That's the $636 million called out in the column marked change for pass-through CalISO payments. So this presentation will walk you through the services that we receive, the criticality, and the marketplace drivers for the needed increase. 
APX implements a critical payment step in the uh, approved purchase of power operations for Clean Power SF in Hetch Hetchy. California and the nation are experiencing higher power prices. The increase in capacity in this contract is necessitated by these higher prices being passed through this contract. These pass-through payments are embedded in the approved operating budget for, for uh, Hetchy and Clean Power SF. The contract allows us to implement that approved budget. So let me take a quick minute here to remind you of the approved budget. You can see what a large portion of the power uh, budget purchase of power is. It's that 75% orange pie slice. Uh, $344 million is appropriated for the purchase of power each year. You see how that breaks down between Clean Power SF and Hetch Hetchy in those bulleted points. It includes transmission and related services, electricity and reliability products, and for Hetchy, it also includes dis distribution charges. We generate, as you know, our own power for Hetchy customers purchasing and selling electricity in the California ISO markets depending on generation availability. We purchase most of our Clean Power SF electricity from renewable generators, and uh, we purchase and sell power for Clean Power SF in the California ISO markets to make sure we address any over or undersupply in any given moment. Regardless of the source of the power, you can see on this graph, on this um, picture, uh, that the Cal, the Cal ISO is how we get it to our customers here in San Francisco. Everything goes through the Cal ISO. And the Cal ISO needs to get paid for those transmission and, and electricity services. Under California ISO rules, only certified scheduling coordinators may transact directly with the Cal ISO. APX, our contractor here, provides that service for us. The Cal ISO costs that we incur are invoiced to APX. APX pays the invoice to the Cal ISO, and then we pay APX. Those costs are variable. This chart shows the wholesale prices for Northern California 2018 to 2022 in blue bars. It's flat to declining 2018 through 2021, and then it starts to surge in 2021 through 2022. The red bars show the projected or forward prices that we're anticipating for 2023 and 2024. The surge is expected to continue in 2023 and drop a little bit in 2024, but remain well above the pre-2021 averages. And for those who may be listening and following along, this is an added slide. My next slide is also added. They'll be made available to the Commission Secretary and, and uh, the public if requested. So we need more APX capacity to pass these higher prices um, uh, through the Cal ISO payment process. California isn't alone in incurring these um, inclining prices. And this uh, chart here, a little busy, um, shows you how it looks on a regional basis. So each column shows a specific wholesale electricity market, with the first two columns being California ISO, north and south, then Texas, or air, referred to as ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, uh, then Michigan, Chicago, and so forth. Each row shows the annual peak price for each region, 2018 through 2022.
green shading shows the lows and red the highs. You see the same pattern here as you saw for the California-only slide I just showed you. Flat to declining 2018 to 2020, so it's shaded green. Surging 2021 through 22, so it's shaded red. And really, this is showing you the global and regional factors influence wholesale electricity markets. Here are the monthly northern California average prices for a megawatt hour of power, July 2021, when we started transacting under this contract, through December 2022. It starts relatively low and stable, hovering around $50 to $60 a megawatt hour. Then we have the September 2022 heat dome event. Um, remember that we all got you know, amber alerts on our phones telling us um, to use less power, asking us to use less power. Um, that's that first spike you see there um, in, occurring in September. And that's an example of a regional factor driving a market response, which was weather. Uh, and then it drops, but it spikes again back up in December. Uh, this higher price and the expectation that prices will stay high are also influenced by global factors. Uh, things like the war in Ukraine, uh, higher natural gas prices due to increased export of natural gas to, to Europe, part of a response to the war in Ukraine. Opening up of China from their COVID shutdown is increasing demand for um, natural gas that's exported by, it's liquefied and exported by ship. So we're seeing a greater use also of natural gas for electricity generation to back up renewables. And then we've also experienced here in California supply chain slowdowns, delaying commercial operation dates for new solar generation, and that results in higher costs for those new solar projects. So these are all pressures that are, are, are coming to bear and keeping the price up or raising the price. And for us, those global and regional factors play out in higher prices than expected, higher prices that are then passed through these invoices from the Cal ISO, and it's eating up the contract capacity faster than we'd predicted. The original contract capacity was 130.5 million. That's represented on this slide with that red line, red flat line on the top. Uh, along the bottom, you see weekly invoices coming in June 2022 to December 28. That's the bumpy blue line at the bottom. It's pretty steady. And then you see that same spike in September for the heat, heat dome event. Uh, the orange line that climbs up through the middle of the slide, uh, that shows the same invoices on a cumulative basis with, again, a jump in September. You can see the, the higher prices resulting in higher pass-through payments, absorbing the capacity as the invoice line, that orange line, approaches the red contract capacity line. So we took action uh, with the first amendment to the contract. GM Herrera executed a $125 million amendment under the authority this commission and the Board of Supervisors authorized, uh, which created uh, admin code 2143. So there's no change in this amendment. There was no change to the contract scope or the duration. But as a result of this contract amendment, we were able to continue to make timely payments for this critical piece of our operations. The first amendment provides us the time we need to take the second amendment through the regular approval process. We anticipate that 
you know, with your support today, we can complete the approval process by April. And that 125 million in capacity provides us the room to get there. We are requesting 636 million increase in capacity based on the projected or forward market prices. That's what you see here. The bottom blue line shows the forward price projections on June 1st, 2021 for uh, December 2022 through 24. So on June 1st and 21, this is what folks thought we were gonna be paying through this time period, December 22 through June 2024. The June, and June 2021, remember, was when we initially set the contract capacity for the bid package. So that's its relevance. The green line shows the forward price projections as of December 2022 for the same time period. You see high prices, and then they come down to a more reasonable level, but still over twice as high as we previously projected. That's why we're asking for this additional capacity to get us through this period. So here's our recommendation recap. Authorize the GM to increase the contract capacity by $636 million for a total not to exceed agreement amount of a little over $895 million. No change in duration, no change in scope, only increasing the pass-through capacity under this contract. And to also authorize the GM to seek approval of the Board of Supervisors for um, the same contract amendment and um, some, uh, an amendment to uh, 2143. Admin code section 2143 includes a cap on how much we can um, uh, uh, expend on an annual year using that authority. It's 150 million now. We'd like an additional 50 million, raising the cap to 200 million so that we can uh, be able to continue to respond to these high prices that we're seeing. So with that, thank you for your patience. I'm happy to take any questions you may have. Uh, Commissioner Stacy. Thank you, thank you for that very clear presentation. I have two questions. <clears throat> In your new slide, you showed uh, other regions and the energy costs. I think only Texas uh, had a decrease in costs and maybe two other regions had much smaller increases in cost. Do you have any sense of why that might be? So it goes to the regionality of the markets. I think probably the primary driver is the fact that California is the, one of the most distant states from the natural gas market centers. I see. So when we talk about the supply and demand on natural gas, it's, it's, the pipelines are rich throughout the, the middle of the U.S. and the eastern U.S. When you look at a map of the pipelines, they get pretty thin coming into California. Uh, so we have a more constrained market, and we face the, the economic balance there. It goes against us. Thank you. And then I just wanted a little clarification. Are all of the increased costs due to the increased costs of the energy, or is transmission, are transmission fees going up as well? Transmission fees are also going up, but the dominant factor is the price of electricity. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Commissioner Paulson. Um, just mostly an observation. Um, there's, um, and it doesn't matter, I guess, what era we're in, or frankly, any type of, whatever type of economic or government uh, exists, um, there's, you know, certain things. There's food, water, and, and, uh, and, and light. Um, you know, there's certain things that just, you know, 
we absolutely, uh, you know, can't do without. And, um, you know, the entire presidential election, besides other issues, was all based on, you know, people like in California worried about, you know, going from 250 a gallon to $5 a gallon on gas. I mean, that's that type of volatility. So I guess the irony is, is that here in San Francisco, where we have this, you know, tremendous commitment to um, not just, you know, public power, but, you know, making sure that, you know, ratepayers and, and that our government is going to, you know, take care of things as opposed to the private market, the fact that we're getting hit with this, you know, incredibly hard, you know, market rate um, and have still having to, you know, pay, um, you know, pay the, these types of rates um, based on, on the way the economics works in this country is, is, is pretty ironic and, and pretty sad. And that's just an observation as the commissioner and I am making, despite our great efforts to, you know, keep rates down and to make sure that the customers and, and the city has the ability to, to do stuff in San Francisco happens to have that type of capacity. The fact that we're getting hit with this right now is just uh, pretty sad, And but, you know, at least this is a government that uh, wants to take care of its uh, citizens and its people. And um, that's my observation as we move towards the vote. Thank you. Um, so where does the money come from? I mean, with this... I mean, this is an awful lot. Where does it come from when it goes up? I mean, where do all these, where do all of all the people that you showed us in the slides, where do we, how do we make it ends meet? Yeah, so we are, a um, couple, couple of responses to that. On the Hetchy side, um, we see, we kind of have a, like a love-hate relationship with high wholesale prices because we sell into the market as well as buy from the market. Uh, so on the Hetchy side, we're able to recover some of those costs when we make those sales because uh, sometimes we are generating more than we are consuming, so we're selling into the market there, and then we benefit from those high prices. Mm -hmm. um, for the Clean Power SF side of the house, we are seeing some sales as well, um, which helps offset some of these costs, and we will be coming to you, as was previously planned uh, this spring, to uh, address rate increases that are necessary to cover our costs. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, any further, uh, Commissioner Paulson? Let's see. All right, thank you. Thank you. Public comment on this item? Members, <clears throat> members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 13, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item number 13? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number 13 is closed. All right, may I get a motion and a second to approve item 13? So moved. Second. The moved and seconded. Roll call vote, please. Vice President Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Next item, please. Your next item is your communications information item for you only. Any communications, any comments? None. Next item, please. Next item is general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote general public comment on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide general public comment? 
Um, good afternoon, Commissioners, Director. Uh, my name is Paul Wormer. I am calling to put in a plug that you hear and approve the MOU that's been proposed between LAFCO and Clean Power SF. These are studies that are essential if San Francisco is going to understand the ramifications of decisions it must make. And like many studies, they may surface things we're not aware of. And that may take more studies. I think of the Van Ness BRT, and I seem to recall something about underground lines that appeared that no one knew about. Well, here we're talking about decommissioning a gas distribution system that dates back how far? And how much confidence do we have in PG&E's record keeping and understanding on that? Here we're talking about market incentives uh, to add hydrogen to a natural gas system uh, because it will lower the carbon impact of the natural gas, uh, but not a number of the other impacts and create additional hazards. Um, there may be good uses for hydrogen. I think there are. But if the city has not done its homework, we won't make the right decisions. Similarly, battery, battery storage, significant equity implications uh, for energy storage if it's in front of the meter or behind the meter for electrical services. All of these are very important questions, and deferring these studies means we will not have necessary information when we need to have it, when we need to be able to apply for grants that are available if we are ready to take that money. So please, Let's get that, that MOU approved and move forward. Thank you. Do we have any other members present to provide comment? Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there, is, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes for general public comment. I'm Dave Warner, uh, speaking without the consent of others. At your last meeting, you expressed the importance of public input. I don't think General Manager Hera holds the same view. At your last workshop on August 23rd regarding water supply, then Commission President Anson Moran said that the seventh special meeting was different than prior meetings in that the workshops were a way to address concern by the NGOs that they weren't being heard and that there wasn't a dialogue. But now that General Manager Herrera reestablished the Bay Area Water Stewards meetings, BAWS for short, President Moran said that the commission workshops were no longer as necessary. However, at the most recent pause meeting on November 28th, General Manager Herrera kicked off the meeting and then he left. In that meeting were a number of respected representatives of NGOs participating, including Adrian Colbert of the Bay Area Council. Bosca's CEO, Nicole Sankula, representing 1.8 million customers, participated in the entire meeting. General Manager Herrera appeared to have decided that it wasn't worth his time to hear the discussion. From this behavior, I've lost confidence that Mr. Herrera has a genuine interest in these meetings. If you as commissioners view the BOS meetings as an important means for having a dialogue with the NGOs and possibly supplanting some, but hopefully not all, commission workshops, please consider having at least one commissioner attend these meetings on a going forward basis. From an NGO perspective, I have seen the tremendous amount of work that goes into preparing for these meetings done by many people. Leadership needs to give these meetings more attention. Here are my requests. One, at least one of the commissioners participate in each BOS meeting, including the planning pre-meeting. Having a commissioner involved demonstrates the importance the commission places on these meetings. And two, General Manager Herrera does his best to participate in a full meeting. 
Uh, please consider participating in the next pause meeting currently scheduled for February 28th. I'll provide a copy of my comments for the record. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes for general public comment. Hello, uh, I'm calling uh, also to support the previous comments of Paul um, in the room regarding signing the MOU with the LAFCO. Um, you know, Clean Power SF has responsibility to meet our city's climate action plan, um, but they cannot do it alone. The MOU is an invitation way to enable LAFCO to support the SFPUSD meet this responsibility. These studies uh, focus on the crucial issue uh, of you know, in one case, specifically looking to find the best way to get the city and all, you know, residents and uh, commercial buildings and public buildings stop using uh, natural gas, which is, you know, a major contributor to climate change. Uh, our biggest source of emissions in the city or stationary emissions in the city uh, and also a huge health risk. I mean, new studies have just come out showing the huge risk that comes for children uh, and anyone who cooks with natural gas, especially in the small apartments that many of us live in in the city, uh, the LASCO um, should could really do a study that finds the most efficient way to get rid of natural gas. And we need the SFPC to genuinize this item. Uh, today, the Board of Supervisors has actually has a resolution uh, on the docket to support this item because we all know it's a critical a critical issue. Um, and this, the MOU would also benefit SFPUC as well. Um, so please agendize and approve this MOU. We can, our city cannot afford to delay meeting the goals of the Climate Action Plan. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, three additional callers have joined the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes for general public comment. Hi, my name is Elliot Hellman. I am a member of 350 San Francisco, and I'm also calling um, to ask you to support the, the LAFCO proposed MOU. As you know, our city's climate action plan lays out a pathway for the city to cut sector-based emissions to 61% below 1990 levels by 2030, and this MOU would provide $800,000 over, over three and a half years to study some of the most interesting and exciting dynamic areas um, in climate action, green banking, natural gas system decommissioning, battery storage, electric vehicle charging, and emerging clean energy technology. So again, I just urge you to support the MOU. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes for general public comment. Um, th thank you again to the chair. Uh, Alita Dupree for the record. My pronouns are she and her, so I speak generally. Um, I am gonna go back a little bit when I looked at communications about issues with pg and how, how can we get our public electric service working with PG&E. Uh, looks like we have a very strong case for uh, municipalization of the power grid in San Francisco. I enlighten you that Los Angeles has a public power system. 
because I think of important projects that need to be connected. And uh, I ask for your help in being able to get these projects, such as uh, a plan to install uh, charging stations in, in muni bus depots so we can have battery-powered buses. We need your help with this. And charging stations are a thing of the future. And hopefully uh, all-electric kitchens. I have an all-electric kitchen, uh, but many don't. And I'm not like most of your public speakers who come. I'm, I'm a person who's different. Uh, but I speak anyway because this is important to me. I am living proof that I, as a person who is very different, uh, does have electric service in my own name. Uh, so how can we engage our diverse communities to be able to speak, uh, to be more uh, approachable? Uh, because uh, when I come to San Francisco, I'm indirectly using uh, electricity and water and your other services. It's important to keep those costs in line because they affect the prices of what I pay. Uh, because utilities are embedded into those costs. So I appreciate it. I hope I get to see you in person someday so you get to see what I look like and see me as a person who is different, but just as much a user of electricity as anybody else. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes for general public comment. Hello, my name is Jennifer Hagee. I'm a member of the Golden Gate Electric Vehicle Association and 350 San Francisco. I'm calling to ask you to please vote and approve the proposed MOU between the PUC and the city's LAFCO. Very important for implementation of the Climate Action Plan. Uh, for example, battery charging and battery storage are going through major changes uh, right now. EV charging is changing as more bidirectional products are moving into production, and EV charging requires updated study for the most effective and cost-effective charging and storage that also provides resilience for city residents. Um, approval of this MOU can offer information the city needs to effectively implement the Climate Action Plan. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment. General public comment is closed. Thank you. Next item, please. Um, 16 items initiated by commissioners. Yes, I, I would like to, commissioners, does anyone have any items? No. Then I would like to continue the hearing on the hiring process, uh, the overview. And I'm thinking uh, since our budget is 30th, sometime in maybe late in February, uh, after our budget process so we can have an idea of where we are and what's going on. Anything else? Um, Commissioner Stacy. Thank you. I have a question about some workshops that I think two public commenters uh, mentioned today. Mr. Warner and I think Mr. Dreckmeyer mentioned some workshops. I assume there are workshops that happen separate from the PUC commission meetings. And yes. uh, is that, could I just ask for a little information on what those might be? Um, there aren't any that have been occurring now. These are ones that occurred, and I, this, this predated me. Um, Steve Ritchie could probably talk in a little bit more detail, or maybe Commissioner Maxwell. There were a series of um, workshops that occurred over the course of, I think, about a year, um, focused on a number of different topics, and that is what happened. 
and they were over. Uh, and then as a result of that, um, we, th those led into some discussions that informed how we looked at a variety of water issues. But in an effort to keep dialogue going, I reinstituted um, something that you, you just heard Mr. Warner refer to, was the Bay Area Water Stewards meetings, which occur mm, on roughly a quarterly basis to bring together different constituencies, um, both for environmental community and um, the business community and others to talk about um, water uh, issues. And we've had probably about three or four of, well, probably four of those over the course of the last year. And that's something that we do at the staff level to talk about a variety of, of issues and to present. Uh, thank you for that information. Uh, and but I'm sorry. Thing, uh, Mr. Ritchie, I summarized that accurately, <clears throat> correct? Well, let me just say that I, I initiated those um, workshops because we were looking at um, the voluntary agreement, basically, and, and a lot of us didn't understand and know what it was about. So, and, and the MG, NGOs had different ideas and Bosca. So we came together and we said, well, let's have these workshops and we can kind of talk a little bit more about things and get a little bit more in depth. So that's how that, that started. And then there were other topics that we got into. And, and people found them very helpful. I certainly did. And as a new commissioner, you know, it was very helpful. Uh, we, can, we can certainly think about it again. Nusha came in on the very end, and I'm sure she'd be very open to, to doing something like that again. Uh, thank you for the information, both of you. One follow-up question. When those workshops occurred, do commissioners receive notice of those oh, workshops? We were all and involved we had, in Okay, them. great. So thank it you. had to be, it was almost like a regular meeting, but there were some differences. But it was during the time that it was um, COVID, so we, were, we did it um, via Zoom. Great. And we were all present and talked about and had questions and presentations from Steve Ritchie and other people, scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm still learning. It's yes. the newest one on the commission. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So are there any further um, items that anyone would like to bring forth? Seeing none, uh, Madam Clerk, do you? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 16, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number 16? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number 16 is closed. Thank you. Madam Clerk, is there any further business before this commission? No, Madam Vice President, that concludes your business for today. Then this meeting is adjourned. Thank you all.